Howdy. Maybe you noticed that we haven't put any episodes out for a while. Um, I bought a house recently, uh, right at the beginning of summer, and the whole process of buying and selling a home and moving took much longer and much more effort than I realized, which I should have known. Um, we will be back soon with new episodes about America's premier intelligence agency uh, very soon. But in the meantime, uh, Brandon and I had a chat recently about Afghanistan. You know, we had to get together to discuss that pretty historic. Uh, so here it is, I guess. We are not professing to tell you the complete story of these activities. We are professing to tell you the complete story that we know. These records that we've uncovered don't tell the story. This is CIA files. They tell pieces of it. True stories of U.S. intelligence. Good morning and welcome to the CIA files. True stories of U.S. intelligence news edition. We've been gone for a little while, but we are back. Uh, We had to come back to take a look at uh, this little... uh, kerfuffle in afghanistan uh brandon uh welcome back and uh, how are you doing i'm doing pretty well um my vacation was a little altered because of what was going on uh i spent the last month in uzbekistan and we were going to go to termez which is right on the border with afghanistan but the um the border the taliban had taken the the border and eh, we just thought it was better safe than sorry. <laughs> we probably would have been okay right. on the. <laughs> I mean, we haven't heard of the Taliban crossing the river, but you know, uh, let's, let's just let's just stay out of that district for a while. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's. Uh, that's what we're here to talk about. So I guess let's get into it. In case uh, you haven't noticed. The United States Army uh, military is pulling out of Afghanistan, has been, and the Taliban just swept through the country and took over really fast, and everyone was surprised. Although, as we look into, uh, you know, some of the information there, we might see that there were probably a lot of people who were not surprised. Brandon, let's kind of give a a rundown of what's happened, you know, in the past few days. Oh, well, in the the past few days, it looks like the fall of Saigon. You've got um, people rushing to get on the the airplanes to to get out. And there was, you know, oh, the government will be able to stand. The government can can, uh, fight the insurgents. And then, surprise, they, they can't. What? Our leaders have been lying to us? Really? Yeah, the the uh, video coming out of the Kabul airport was just heartbreaking. Um, especially the video of the person who had grabbed onto the landing gear of the airplane that took off and then fell out of the sky to his death. Just, ugh. And... Yeah, this was not supposed to look like Saigon, um, and 
President Biden would still have you believe that it isn't anything like Saigon, um, despite all of the evidence we see with our eyes. (laughs) If you don't know, uh, when the United States pulled out of Vietnam, uh, it was a very similar situation to uh, Afghanistan, and it ended with, you know, uh, Vietnamese people in Saigon desperately trying to hold on to helicopters uh, and whatnot as the U.S. left. Um, So, yeah, it (laughs) looks very similar. Um, But then again, was there any other way that this was going to end? I guess let's get into a little bit of the backstory so we can understand the context of this. All right, so our present situation is directly related to um, the Russian takeover. All right, okay, so I'm good on recording. Um, For your future editing edification, this is my renewed answer to the backstory of the Russian takeover. All right. All right. So, I mean, Afghanistan was, it was independent. They had a monarchy and there was a coup against the monarchy. And then not too long after that, there was a coup against them. (laughs) The, the, The republic that was established to replace the monarchy. But that second coup was um, largely Communist Party members. They had pretty tight connections with the the KGB. And uh, it still arguably had a lot of popular support. Uh, The the coup was instigated because the leaders of the political parties were arrested by the government. So they're like, well, if you're gonna arrest us, we'll just overthrow the government. the Soviets ended up getting involved because of inter-communist party uh, mischief within the Afghan government. And they're like, all right, so we're going to come in and, and help things out. But also, kind of at the same time, uh, the government was being a little heavy-handed, just like the governments previously with um, dissent. And they were also doing, they were arresting um, Islamic leaders. They were trying to secularize, you know, the rural society. And so the Mahujadin didn't really much care for that. So they started a guerrilla war. And the Soviets came in to help with that too. Uh, by 86, so the war gets going, what, 78, 79? And... In 86, they're kind of like, all right, well, we, we, need to, we need to wind this bad boy down. And they didn't like the way the leadership was going, so they helped a guy named, um, uh, named uh, Nur Salah get in power. I'm sorry, Nur, not Nur Salah, Najbalah. Najbalah. And who's a very interesting character. If there's a KGB files, you'll probably want to look him up because... Um, he was kind of like the Afghan secret police head. Um, but the guy was, uh, I mean, I don't want to say he was like all, you know, hand-holding happy, happiness, but he 
liberalize the government. It's like, okay, we're going to have more parties and we're going to change the constitution so we can have representation for different groups, but no fascists and, um, you know, no like Islamicist, but Islam is our official religion. So that was kind of where he was going with it, being a little bit more open to representative government. Uh, but at the same, so was he like, um, obviously making Islam the national religion, um, but was it the really strict version that we see with the Taliban? Well, I think they did the same thing the U.S. did with the present Afghan government. Is like Islam is written into the Constitution, and so within the Constitution, it just you know has a little line. Oh, Af Afghanistan is an Islamic state, and uh, the president must be a Muslim born in Afghanistan. But it also enshrined women's rights and a lot of other things about access to education for women. And, yeah. Okay, so it, it wasn't um, like this radical religious uh, situation. It was more No, just, no, no. We're all yeah. Muslims. You've got to be a yeah, Muslim yeah, yeah. to do this. But, you know, yeah, women can go to school and we're not going to behead people. In the streets right right yeah that, that part no no not doing that um all right so the soviets they completely completely withdraw by 89 and um the mujahideen thanks are still to fine. rambo yep <laughs> thanks to rambo he did thanks it to rambo that's he a good came idea. out of retirement he didn't want to but <laughs> that's a great documentary rambo 3 let me tell you it is it's <laughs> It's a very interesting. <laughs> and, um, so a very informative. Very, very informative. Well, the the um, the puppet government uh, that the Soviets put in, uh, they held their own pretty well. Uh, there was a, a continual stalemate, and that lasted until the collapse of the Soviet Union. So in 92, the Soviets kind of stopped supplying or selling Afghans oil. Well, Afghanistan's pretty landlocked. The Pakistan was supporting the Taliban, or the Mujahideen, to be more specific for that point. And so the government not having oil supplies was you know, just not able to, to function. And uh, Najibullah, he tried, he followed like the UN plan for stepping down in a transitional government, uh, but the Mujahideen killed him anyway. And uh, he, was, he was hiding out at the UN compound. And you know, the United Nations compounds are you know, really, really good at defending themselves. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, he was extra. That's not true, is it? No, 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 that was, that was my sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so the, you know, a lot of times it's called like the, the Soviet Vietnam, and, and that's moderately fair, but at the same time, their government didn't collapse as soon as they withdrew. It, it lasted a while. Um, and during that time, from like 89 to 92, 
the U.S. was still supplying the Mujahideen, as was Pakistan. And the Soviets, the Iranians, and the Chinese, and the, you know, Najibullah's government were looking for a political solution. They held, uh, they held elections. And even though the Mujahideen didn't participate in the election, they maintained seats for them in parliament, should they decide to later. So they were, you know, trying to reach out. Uh, but the, the U.S. and Pakistan knew, like, well, why are we going to have a political solution when we can just keep fighting and keep supporting the Mujahideen and take down this government? And we don't like this government because they're really close with the Soviet Union. And Filthy communists. I know, yeah. And, well, the government, you know, disintegrated. And then they had the war of the all against the all. Up and that and finally the Taliban took over in 96. Some of the government forces um, kind of joined the warlords or became warlords and that that is arguably the beginning of the Northern Alliance. Um, but the government those those government forces that went over also attacked the official government and helped bring it down. So uh, and, you know it's a very unfortunate situation but, Najibullah, he even said, like, going, you know, when, <laughs> before his death, he said, you're going to create a terrorist safe haven. And there's, there's a lot of question, like, obviously the Mahujadeen were fundamentalist, but it appears as if they became even more radicalized. Like, at first they were just, oh, we're going to fight these Soviet invaders, you know. They're, they're not from here, and we don't want them here, and they're, they're trying to, you know, they've been arresting our, our religious leaders, and we don't like that. Into this sort of, the all, you know, the, the West and the Soviet Union and everything that is not Islamic is evil, and it must be destroyed, and it is because it is trying to destroy us. You have to remember the, the, the Mujahideen terrorists, they, in their hearts, believe they are defending themselves from an evil group that wants to destroy them. And, and would that evil group, that, that's Westerners? Yeah, uh, yeah, Westerners. America <laughs> specifically? Uh, or? I don't, no, 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 Soviets too, or communists. Uh, you know, I mean, it was the communists, and now it's still, it's still Russia, the Islamicists. So they, at this point, it's, it's not... Either. So at this point, it's it's not like solidified into hatred of America. It's just hatred of non-Islamists. Any, yeah, yeah. Anyone who, yeah, well, a non-Islamist uh, to them is is probably not a true Muslim. They're not. They're not really a Muslim. That's why, I mean, Muslims suffer more from these guys than probably anyone else at the end of the day, because. Well, you know, civil wars, in a sense, are sometimes the most brutal. And it's like, well, you're not, you're not a true, you're not a true Muslim. And so, if there's an evil group trying to destroy you, then and and somebody is working for them, or uh, you know, kind of, ah, I'm going to sit it out. You're like, well, how can you sit out this good against evil fight? You know, so right. You have That's to pick a side, and if you don't pick our side, then you automatically pick the other side. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, kind of how they viewed it, and it's a a very good question to try to understand. Like, 
how like how radicalized did we accidentally make these these guys? And we know Pakistan. I mean, they they had these madrasas and um, where they were fueling this sort of far you know this extremist view of in the religion. Uh, and but the the Pakistan did the same game to to us now. I mean, they officially deny it, but uh, the American government or American puppet government, if you want to be cynical about it, they were trying to be inclusive and like, all right, Taliban, come to the table, we'll give you representatives. And like, why should we? We can just keep fighting this. We still have people supplying us weapons and stuff. Why, why should we? <laughs> you know, why, why have a political right. solution when I can have a military one? That was probably the more important <laughs> yeah. detail to this. Yeah, and so we started training and supporting them. And eventually, they they win. The Russians um, get tired of it. And as I, and I live in Kazakhstan, and you know, they we have all kinds of Afghan war memorials here, much like there are World War II memorials and Vietnam War memorials in um, the United States. Well, uh, eventually, I think it was '96, the Taliban take over, and they are a group, mostly um, Pashtun, who speak a, a Farsi language similar to. Persian and you know what they speak in um, Iran, uh, but they are Sunni. Um, Iran is a Shia, and they make up the majority population. But there are lots of different ethnic groups there. Uzbekis, there are a lot of Uzbekis there, and many of them are starting to cross into Uzbekistan. Um, there are some Turkmen, um, Aziri, um, so it's you know kind of a culturally and religiously diverse um, within Islam, at least. Uh, well, the, the Taliban are this, you know, extreme fundamentalist religious sect, and they kind of enforce their will on the majority population, which, you know, is pretty normal historically. You know, like uh, 1066, the Normans invading England, it was a minority that just imposed their will upon the island. <laughs> you know, and who, who has the bigger guns or swords or weapons and who's more efficient at using them? Uh, right. It's like, um, um, uh, I believe it was Mike Watt from the Minutemen said, politics is guns. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like there's never been a better summation of politics yeah. than that. So we sort of helped establish and put the Taliban in power or was it like the Taliban was there and they took advantage of the system of supporting religious extremists that the America, that America was doing? Well, they got trained and funded by the United States. And then after they were, Afghanistan was no longer useful for us. Uh, we stopped our nation building there you know, as soon as the Soviets gave up, we left, too, and just kind of left yeah. Afghanistan to its devices. Like, they take over... And the, well, the Taliban didn't immediately take over. It took, it took uh, 15, 16 years after the Russian right, withdrawal. Right, and they took over in the um, 90s, and yeah. then we kind of fast forward a little bit. 9-11. All right, so how did we... Yes. Yeah, how did we get into Afghanistan? All right, so... Um, Osama bin Laden is part of Al-Qaeda, which is kind of like Shark Tank for terrorists. And it, it wasn't necessarily as organized as people thought it was, but it was some very wealthy people that were, you know, I guess you would call them Islamicists, and they believed that 
the end of the world's coming. There's going to be a big battle between good and evil, and they're on the side of good. And the big thing is, is the, the secularist or Westerners want to destroy them, and they're out to destroy them. And they got to fight back. So they, you know, were engaged in these terror attacks, hoping their plan, we found out now, was they wanted the U.S. to attack. They were trying to bring on the end of the world sort of thing. They wanted a big fight. Um, for many ways, one, if they could bring the fight, they could bring about the apocalypse. But if they couldn't bring it out in this generation, they could at least weaken the Western states yeah, to and um, seed. rebel warfare and attrition. Yeah, and point the seeds for the apocalypse. Well, bin Laden and his crew uh, were hiding out in Afghanistan. So the Taliban were, you know, they had all kind of, you know, training camps for terrorists. Well, the United States, after 9-11, said, all right, we know it's al-Qaeda. We know it's bin Laden that was behind this. All right, Afghanistan, hand over the, the mass murderer guy. And Afghanistan said, well, you don't have an extradition treaty with us. Um, we'll hand him over to a neutral nation if you provide us with evidence. And George Bush said, no, we're not going to do that because that might endanger our sources. And we're the United States, so you should do what we say. And also George and, Bush, just in general. <laughs> right, yeah. And the, the Taliban were like, uh, no, I mean, have you met us? Right. And, the, and then the, the war began. Now, you had the, the Northern Alliance. They had been fighting against them for a while. So we're getting the Taliban or Pashtun, and they're, you know, the north and central part of Afghanistan is, is not Pashtun or Taliban and have a very different attitude on life and, and Islam. And so we you know, started by supporting them. And you could, it was really, really complicated, but you could make the argument that the... Um, coalition government or the government was the what came after the northern alliance but it was a sort of like they were united against the taliban but then once the taliban were not an immediate threat you know they kind of did what they could to establish a government and it didn't really take hold what we would say in like a, a representative democracy fashion yeah so, I mean, I guess our goals, they were to catch bin Laden and eliminate a terrorist safe haven, uh, which will kind of get us to what Trump talks might have been about. And then we wanted to create a democracy with some level of civil rights. Um, that's the part we don't really seem like we have accomplished. Yeah, the democracy thing is, uh, I'm guessing, not going to work out. <laughs> so we'll get to Biden, and he decides... All right, I'm done with this. Um, it's time to end out. Well, I don't. I don't know if it's fair to put it on Biden. Trump said, "I'm done with this." Oh yeah, that's true. Um, Trump did then, want out of the war as well. Um, yeah, was, yeah, they was it was done. It was an agreement already made and in process. Right, and that um, a big part of what Biden was doing was following through on Trump's agreement. Um, or at least that's how he puts it. And then it, when he and the Democrats used that to shuffle off a lot of the blame for this onto Trump, and then, you know, the Republicans are like, that was his agreement, but you didn't have to honor it. You obviously didn't have to honor it. Uh, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> you know, Trump came in after Obama 
and didn't honor hardly any of the stuff that Obama had set up. So, you know, they're like, you decided. Uh, and then, you know, I see how dare, how, how dare you actually follow through with the, the policies of a president that we supported and, and voted for and approved whose policies we approved. How dare you follow through with the policies we approved? Right. Yeah. The, the, uh, the Republican party website mysteriously removed a page that praised Trump's, uh, peace talks with the Taliban the day but just yesterday it was like it was there <laughs> and then it was gone so that's pretty interesting <laughs> well they used to criticize clinton for having talks with the taliban um like way before like when george bush was president and the war was getting started they're like oh clinton met with the taliban yeah it's like well they were the official government yeah <laughs> yeah that's a um you, that's i mean yeah you blame the, the Trump- last guy you always blame the last guy <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I, where Biden, I think, uh, has kind of failed is, or the intelligence community failed, is exactly how quickly it would all collapse. According to um, my wife, to three weeks ago, she told me, oh, this is, this, it's going to be done in like two, three weeks at, at most. And I'm like, ah, I think, I think Kabul will hold out for about six months at least, or, you know, it might actually hold out long enough. And I'd heard, you know, talks that the Taliban was spread too thin and that as they were like rapidly taking over this territory, they were, you know, uh, stretching themselves even further and that no one thought that they would just march into Kabul of course, there were some things that uh, these people weren't factoring in, such as the Afghan National Army not doing anything to stop them, uh, which we could talk about that. And I guess there's also maybe a question of the accuracy of the U.S. Uh, intelligence uh, coming, you know, that they were, you know, the information that they were getting. And that maybe they, uh, I don't know, maybe they underestimated Taliban forces. <laughs> we are CIA files. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems either it was an intelligence failure on um, the part of the United States or the, um, the government's lying about what they knew. And I'm inclined to lean toward incompetence. If I have um, if I have the choice between intelligent lying and incompetence, I'm going to lean toward incompetence, um, and then lying to cover it up. These are, sadly, those are CIA um, themes. <laughs> those that, that's been the theme of the CIA since uh, you know 1947. <laughs> So, oh, we we tried. We fucked up because we didn't know what we were doing, but we're pretty good at lying about it. <laughs> the, so uh, let's go with that one. Well, I, uh, let's see. I think like Trump's deal with the Taliban was, was essentially, look, just don't let terrorists train there anymore. Don't be a haven for the bad guys. But I don't know that they can be trusted. Um you know, but one of the things that frustrates me is when the invasion began, like, I, you know, way back, way back when I was a little one and the right wing, I remember the right wing media, well, the, you know, the Democrats were saying, well, we need to have goals. I don't think 
people weren't really, to my memory, people were not necessarily against the Afghan war. They were, many people were against the Iraq war, though, you know, those of us who were against the right, war kept a low profile. <laughs> yeah. Right, because the Iraq war was kind of an opportunistic thing, it seems like. I, I admit that I don't know enough. I was around, I remember being in my um, early 20s at the time and being very anti-Bush and anti-Iraq war because I just didn't see the connection uh, between invading Iraq and 9-11, which is, you know, they use that all that uh, national anger over 9-11 to promote this invasion into Iraq. And they're like, yeah, they used it to I tell mean, us yeah, to shop. Iraq is... <laughs> they used our national like anger to tell us to go shop, buy a car that, um, buy an SUV or something that uses more gas. Right. If you don't buy a rock, I remember and, that if you don't buy new TVs, then the terrorists win. <laughs> yeah, like, I remember that. Oh, the, the whole, like, uh, you know, the first, like from 2001 to like 2003 or four, just embarrassing living the whole like the thing with france and the freedom fries and freedom toast (laughs) just all of that was ridiculous yeah um well of course now iraq is um basically an iranian puppet state more with with the u.s troops occupying it so (laughs) it's like we get to say that they're our puppet but how do you think? How do you think all those supplies from Iran are getting into Syria? <laughs> you know, well, what country do you think they're going through? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about um, the Afghan National Army. So one of the things that I see coming up, and um, some, you know, this is something that has been was reported a couple of years ago. Um, the it the corruption within the Afghan government and this notion that a lot of the military leaders, Afghan military leaders, were lying about how many troops they had and the supplies that they needed and things like that just to get more money from the U.S. Because, you know, the U.S. was like just... That's a US, that's an American thing. There's a problem. If we throw enough money at it, that should fix it. <laughs> and you and so and every other country in the world that works with America knows this. And so you had Afghan leaders reporting inflated ranks so that they would get um money from the u.s because we were paying the salaries of you know the people in the afghan army Uh, we were paying a lot of a lot of people's salaries so they were lying we've got five thousand soldiers when maybe he's only got 500 right right so this and so this figure that we keep hearing uh biden mentioned it in his speech yesterday uh, this notion that the Afghan National Army was 300,000 people strong when it could have been maybe half that. It could have been less than half. Right. That. Um, we don't have any way of knowing. Well, see, we just know. They don't understand. There weren't nearly as many soldiers as they said there were. 
they don't know how to do corruption like we know how to do corruption. So what we do is say, hey, we need tanks. We need 100 tanks. Oh, well, how much, how much do those tanks cost? Hmm, let me see. And the contractor who was lobbying to say that you needed 100 tanks says, oh, those tanks are $30 million. But they're really a million dollars each. Well, I say maybe they're $3 million, but they're really a million dollars each. And then the, the company gets the $2 million. Um, instead so the of, tanks are still there. Yeah, the tanks are still there. Right, right. So they, they, were, they were doing it wrong. They should have, you know, says, hey, our soldiers need a lot more money per month. And then, you Our know, soldiers skimming. are going on strike yeah. for, they want a 50% pay increase and casual Friday. Yeah. Tell them that. Oh, so they send extra money and, you know, like shipments of jeans and T-shirts. Yeah. Well, they, uh, and they're still the soldiers. Uh, yeah. They, well, there's also like um, how much how much gets stolen. And I, I've seen this kind of traveling the world, like different levels of corruption. And you can see the places pretty quickly where the there's corruption, but things still get built. Like... Whoever, there, there's a really nice road, a really nice highway, really nice park with street lights. And, um, you know, it was like the president's cousin or something that had the company that made that it. got the contract. Right. And, yeah. you know, they lined their pockets. But they still made the park. Yeah, and they made a nice one, too. And then you go to other places where it's like the budget says there was this much money, but all I see is a dirt road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and that corruption's pretty pretty destructive to a nation, but also it destroys the legitimacy of the government. And um, once people begin to you know lose the idea that their government's legitimate, then well, the democracy fails. I mean, you can have an idea of government legitimacy without democracy. I mean, people couldn't believe it. An authoritarian right. government is legitimate. Right, yeah. And, but, you know, if it's openly corrupt or corrupt in a way that's not benefiting enough people, then it will not be seen as legitimate. And I would argue that our failure in Afghanistan was because we never were able to establish government legitimacy. And we might not have been able to, which... You know, was the thing I was frustrated about the invasion is the goal should have been clearly stated, you know, what victory was. And I remember the right wing, victory is when we win. And it's like, well, no, you still need victory conditions. Are we there to just get rid of, a, you know, capture Osama bin Laden? Are we there to establish a puppet, a quick puppet government and yoink our way out? Uh, I mean, <laughs> what is it? But if we were trying to make a government, even an authoritarian one or establish our own dictatorship, whatever, we'd have to make it legitimate. And we were never able to do that. And the other thing is democracy is hard. Like the basis of democracy is like civil participation, like, you know, civil society. And it's something that people just... In the United States, we take for granted something like, you know, your peewee baseball team or the Boy Scouts. Now, Boy Scouts might be better to bring the analogy. So it's people getting together voluntarily 
and organizing themselves to do stuff they enjoy or make their world better. And that means, oh, well, I got to get together with these parents and we got to put money in and we got to get a coach. But it's kind of like practice for democracy. If people don't do that, they don't really know or understand how democracy works. And uh, or we don't really see democracy where we don't see civil society. Like even the ancient Greeks had a whole lot of civil society going on, even though it's, you would argue they weren't really a democracy. But amongst that elite, you know, they had their clubs and societies and things they did, which got them used to the idea of, oh, well, maybe we can all get together and vote and decide things for our government too. And that helps build legitimacy. And it can be usurped. Like one of the reasons like authoritarian states don't like civil society is because people get used to controlling themselves and they can use it to to make people reliant on the state. So instead of the Boy Scouts, you join the your kid goes to the Young Pioneers or Hitler's Youth. As um, a parent, you might be happy, like, oh, good, the pioneers, you know, yeah, I've talked to people here that were in the pioneers. They loved it. Their parents loved it. You know, it was a lot of fun. No, they went camping. And What's the, can you tell us what the pioneers is? It's basically the Boy Scouts, but for young communists. And so, um, you know. If you, oh, okay. Yeah, if you were a kid, it's like, oh, you get to go to the summer camp. And if you, you know, depending on. Um, your background, they'd say, oh, well, you know, you get, you're, you can come for free or you can come for this extremely small amount of money. And so, yeah, the, the parents and society become reliant on that, you know, that, that part of the you know, things that civil society can take care of. But this, you know, is kind of like the whole right-wing thing about the markets, you know, oh, we get rid of the markets and then the government makes us all slaves. And it's like, well... <laughs> you, that's taking the argument to an extreme, um, you know, right. ma- making sure that, uh, you know, oh, all absolutely every single hospital in the country should be a private hospital to avoid Hitler is a bit, a bit extreme, but, you know, they, yeah. and the authoritarian society. You, and, and does this, this seems to tie into what I keep hearing about Afghanistan, that among the people who live there, there isn't much of a national identity as in, you know, like we consider ourselves Americans, even if we're not necessarily super patriotic, I'm still like, I'm an American, but that a lot of the people who live there don't really think of themselves as Afghanis. They're more concerned with their local tribes. And so that would make it hard to get people to unite under one government and to participate in say democratic elections. Is that, uh, that might that might be the case. I honestly don't don't think it's really true because that region has been kind of its own multicultural area for a long time now. And like the Emirate was around for, you know, 100, 200, 300. I'm not sure exactly how long, but that the you know, region has existed as something of a cultural identity. Uh, they, they, they do have tribes that they identify with, but I think, but to say that they don't think of themselves as Afghans, that might be a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe, yeah, they don't necessarily care if I'm in a village about what's happening across the country. But I mean, you get that in the U S too, where like, 
I'm only going to donate blood if the blood goes to somebody in my local city. I'm like, well, why do you care if it goes to the yeah. blood bank and gets shipped away? I mean, their their concerns are definitely more local, uh, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think I think that's something. If I if I gave a if I tried to say I knew the answer, I would be what was it Dunning Krugering it or Kruger Dunning? Right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's just that's a talking point that I hear tossed around a lot. You know, that like trying to get, you know, the Afghan people in general to acknowledge uh, and this, uh, from what I hear, this mostly applies to people who live away from the cities, you know. Yeah, yeah, and the, the countryside. So, well, isn't that the whole world? The city people and the country people, are, are, <laughs> yes, they have different values true. and different outlooks on life and what they want to see happen. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, it, they the way the picture is painted is that it's like trying to herd cats. So, well, that I, that, I don't know about that because I've never been there. But well, that that might be fair. Like, um, it may be one of those things. Like, you got a family that fights with each other, but if you mess with one of them, if somebody from outside messes with them, they band together. Uh, I think they're but they're still a family. That's kind of how I would see right. Afghanistan. Is they're like we're free to fight with each other. But if you come from outside, uh-uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we'll, we'll work together. Right. Which, you know, also the whole thing, you know, you got divide and conquer. You know, that's the, the classic historical, you want to conquer the enemy, divide them. And, well, Afghanistan yeah. is already kind of tribally divided, religiously divided. They, they, but I don't know that they don't consider themselves Afghans, too. I don't know. I, you know, identity is incredibly yeah. complex. Um, but they were divided and not united. And so the Taliban coming in like, you know, with AK-47s and being like, well, we are united and we're marching in step. <laughs> Everybody else just right. kind of got in line <laughs> or it seems like they got out of the way. I don't know that everyone's gotten in line, but they got out of the way. And their motives, uh, it might be because there's a large number of Pashtuns in Pakistan and it may be a way of keeping them divided if half the Pashtuns consider themselves kind of lord protectors of Afghanistan and the others don't. Maybe they're separate. It could be part of divide and conquer. I don't really know, to be honest, what their long-term goal with that is. Or, hey, guys, we'll, we'll you know, make sure you stay in control of Afghanistan, but leave, you know, let us keep control of our area in Pakistan. Because, um, I mean, they're, the whole question about, like, oh, well, Afghanistan, they don't have a national identity. Well, they kind of do. They, they've been a nation for a long time. Um, so it kind of crosses these tribal boundaries. Uh, now, it can be kind of difficult. I mean, ethnicity and nationality and you know, self-identification is, is incredibly complex. Right. Um, but do you think... Uh, at this point, they, the people, maybe they have a national identity. They identify as Afghanis, um, but is that national identity strong enough to, you know, like coalesce people into an army or something like that? Yeah, I mean, well, they did have an army. They just were afraid to um, fight and. They, they'd, uh, maybe they didn't believe in it enough to die for it. 
And one thing that the Taliban made clear is they were willing to die for their beliefs. And right. So they, they see, I was like, oh, yes, I see myself as an Afghani. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll pay taxes. And I was like, oh, well, these like guys are really intense on fighting, on fighting or they're coming. It's like, well, I think I care a little bit more about my family and my village, especially if I don't have any, don't have any bullets <laughs> to keep fighting, which seems to have been what happened, too, is they just didn't feel the government was supporting them. So we have another question about why couldn't the U.S. Army defeat the Taliban? Because everyone talks up the, the, the power of the U.S. military, and uh, we even hear this. It, it strikes me as funny, but we, he, we've heard this from, from Joe Biden and from Anthony Blinken, where they say, okay, we're pulling out, but if the <laughs> Taliban, you know, attacks anyone or does anything uh, to stop us from moving out or is aggressive, then we will bring the full might of the U.S. military down on them and they know what we can do. And I'm like, bro, you lost. <laughs> you gave up and lost. How is that still a threat? It's like if you get into a fight, and you get knocked down on the ground yeah. and, you know, get, have your ass beat. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to stand up now and walk away. And if you try to stop me, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. You're like, no, you're not, dude. You, that's obviously not true. But at the same time, they, you know, like the numbers are on their side. The U.S. military is obviously better equipped Biden constantly pointed out that the U.S. military gave the Afghan government um, air support, which the Taliban, they don't have airplanes, you know. Um, they're using old uh, AK-47s. And, you know, so the U.S. is better equipped. So, you know, like, why couldn't they beat the Taliban? And so a lot of stuff that I'm seeing is, that I, and that I've picked up on is that, for one, the Taliban would get local support a lot of times. Maybe not necessarily in the cities, but in the countryside. And this was, um, I think, a holdover from when the Taliban took over in the 90s. And because before the Taliban, as the other government was being incompetent or falling apart uh there was like lawlessness especially out away from the cities there was just you know it was like the wild west and the taliban when they would move in and take control over an area they brought justice with them they brought like a i don't want to say courts necessarily i'm pretty sure it was more brutal than that but you know this is Thomas Hobbes, and like his ideas on the social contract is uh, we give up freedom for stability, and that um, tyranny is better than the war of the all against the all. Right. Um, so he, he was around during the English Civil War, and it's like everybody's killing everybody. And I mean, the sides weren't really even just two separate sides, it was more akin to what happens, what's happening in uh, both Syria and Afghanistan, where you have these multi-factions fighting yeah. each other. 
And he's like, well, it's better to have a strong man or, you know, a tyrant than to, to live through, through that. chaos. Yeah. I think that we're going to find out more about the how of that, uh, you know, after this clears up. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's still, it still is a question. Although, um, we'll come back to this in a minute when we get to the Afghanistan papers. Um, the leaders did know, uh, just or at least there were plenty of people who did know, but uh, the ones who could have done something about it wouldn't listen to them. But we have another big question before that, and it's something that a lot of people kept asking. It was what Biden said uh, constantly about the Afghan people wouldn't stand up and fight for themselves and we can't keep fighting for them and they just didn't fight back so why didn't the afghan national army put up a fight so one of the things that i've been seeing is that the afghan army was very poorly supplied uh there's this issue uh this one example that's brought up where there was you know parts of the country that I don't want to say we're under famine, but they just, there wasn't much food to go around. And this one small province uh, where they were growing potatoes ended up being a major source of uh, food for the army. But there toward the end, all of the ANA soldiers, the only rations they were getting were usually slimy, old, rotten potatoes. And there weren't very many of them to go around either. That's part of it is that they were starving, you know. And then on top of that, they're hearing everyone else in the world say, well, as soon as the U.S. government pulls out, the Taliban is coming in and taking over. And there wasn't even, it was like assumed that the Taliban was going to win the only surprise was how fast that happened. <laughs> and so if you're an Afghan soldier and you're hearing everyone say, well, the enemy is, it's just a matter of time before the enemy wins. Like the army, <laughs> those guys are going to hold them off for a little while. And then you're the guy and you look down and you're the one holding the, the gun that probably only has like a handful of bullets. You're like, wait, I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to buy everybody a little bit of time. <laughs> right. And that's it. So, well, I mean, I think it, I think yeah, that makes sense. Went home, yeah. They, and they probably went home to protect their families. Um, and there's a thing in Islam, uh, when someone is fighting a, a holy war is, if the person asks for peace uh, or surrenders before they are defeated, you're supposed to offer it. But if they only offer peace when they've been caught, you know, uh, you know, or they're they're going to lose anyway, then you're not really supposed to give it to them because they didn't really want peace. They just wanted peace because you know it's like you're not sorry. You're sorry you got caught. Yeah. And so. Right. They that might have played into it, uh, where you know, all right, I'm Afghan, I'm Muslim, I know these guys' theology, you know, even if I don't believe it, I know how they think. So 
if I if I walk away now, they'll see me not as an enemy. Uh, you know, like I can I can get mercy or be ignored or join them. However, that right. it's going to work out for me. But if I yeah. fight to the bitter end, you know they're they're going to kill me. They're probably going to be you know maybe they'll kill my family because the Taliban has that reputation. Um, right, and that that does go into um, the Afghanistan papers that I mentioned recently back in 2019. The Washington Post uh, started publishing articles about how military leaders, the U.S. military leaders in Afghanistan for a while had been saying that this war was unwinnable, that we didn't have any chance, that we were just delaying the inevitable. But the leaders above them didn't want to hear that, <laughs> which is kind of this American attitude where you know, that's, that's, you know, the owner of the company is universal government. Are you know, universal? I don't, I don't know if that's uniquely American. I guess I say it's American because uh-huh. I've experienced it so much in America, but the whole notion of the boss coming down and goes, I need you to f- do this task. And you're like, it's impossible. I can't do this task. What you're asking is too much. And the boss goes, I don't care. Just find a way and get it done. And then they walk away. You try to tell them, well, I can't do it because, you know, like each step in this task takes an hour and I've got to do it a hundred times. And you're telling me to get it done by the end of the day. It's just not physically possible. And the boss is like, I'm not listening to you. Go get my shit done, you know, and that that kind of seems to be what happened with the higher ups in the U.S. government where they didn't want to hear. They would consider them excuses. And they're like, it's not an excuse. It's just reality. And uh, we we historically have seen how people in the U.S. government deal with reality. Uh, it's usually an inconvenience. <laughs> so I don't, uh, you know, I, w- we don't have time to get too deep into the Afghanistan papers. You know, I suggest you go read them or at least read through them, uh, or about them. It's very interesting. And that, again, that was in, that came out in 2019. So that's not new. None of this should have been a surprise to anyone who, you know, has had any kind of experience in dealing with what's been going on, you know, and Joe Biden, Afghanistan's not new to him. You know, he's been in government in a leadership (laughs) role this whole time. It's not like he just went in and somebody said, Oh yeah, by the way, we got this thing going on in Afghanistan. And he's like, Oh, let's take a look at this. Like, Oh, I don't like it. We should get out. (laughs) No, he's known. Which maybe is why he decided to pull out. You know, maybe he was the first one that listened. But uh, technically, Trump Trump's plan was to pull out, and of course, the date for complete oh, that is the true. Date for complete withdrawal was not on his watch, which was pretty clever. Because <laughs> anything goes anything <laughs> goes wrong, it's going to be the other guy's fault. And and they're they're doing right. that now. Like you know, it, it is tragic seeing this fall of Saigon situation, but. You know, like we've been saying we were going to No, leave. it's different than the fall of Saigon. It's different. <laughs> and I know it's different 
because President Biden said it's different. Oh, yeah. oh. He said it was different. And despite the fact that if you put the videos side by side, they kind of look <laughs> very similar. Yeah. But but he said it's not. So we're <laughs> Well, the, the, there's yeah. a lot of, there's been a lot of warning. I mean, Trump announced a while ago we were leaving. And so the previous administration, and this one from the very beginning, should have been expediting the process to get people out. And, you know, those that wanted. That, you know, that's, that's the only thing I really see as a failure. And whether it's like, oh, well, we didn't really think it would collapse this quickly. Eh, maybe so, but... People also knew the Americans were leaving, so if they thought <laughs> that, and if we right. thought that, I mean, the Taliban would have been like basically like we won, like what was that like a few weeks ago, a month ago when uh, they first started pulling soldiers out in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> and yet another onion headline became reality. <laughs> yeah. That was weird. Um. Also, one thing I wanted to talk about, because uh, I've been here, and I'm going to be honest, uh, I've been, I have not known very much about the Taliban and the war in Afghanistan. You know, I've obviously been aware of it because you can't not be aware of it. It's a 20 year war. But so, like lately, I've been trying to get up to speed. One of the things that I've seen uh, or I've hear, heard people talk about is, the Taliban organization itself and how it has evolved since the nineties or since, you know, 2001, how it's evolved and is now actually uh, much bigger and much more organized than it was. So the Taliban's not just an army of insurgents. They have uh, social programs. They've got like an administrative section that does, you know, that's working on diplomacy. They're a huge yeah. group. They're basically like an outcast government, like a whole outcast government that's like resettling back into their I old spot. I think it was Max Weber. I can't remember the writer or thinker who he cynically says like um, government is a protection racket. And it's often starts as one. Oh yeah, you know, like, and and there, there's some truth to it. The idea, the big difference between like tyranny and not tyranny is essentially the how legitimate do I feel it is? <laughs> yeah, like the the yeah. the whole feudalism that was all about the okay, well, you guys with all the knives and swords and everything, okay, we'll do what you say and we'll plow the land and we'll give you part of it. But if somebody steals my cow, you better take care of that stuff. Now the question is, since the Taliban is basically the new government, probably, I guess maybe you'd say government in waiting. Um, ah. Also, somebody made a joke on TikTok that said the Taliban takeover of Kabul went more smoothly than the U.S. transfer of power from Trump oh, to Biden. Yeah, yeah, that was... And I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of true. Pretty sick burn. <laughs> Um, I think there, but so now that the Taliban civil war, it'll be civil war. I think for a while, you think, yeah. um, well, be I was wondering if about how the Taliban's going to function as a government, um, probably like they did before, like they did in the late nineties. Right. But, 
mo- the Afghanistan government that has been in power that the you know the U.S. helped put in power, they've been funded almost entirely. I mean, I say entirely, uh, not a hundred percent, but a huge portion of their funding has come from um, the U.S. government and from the World Bank, uh, who had set up like a twelve billion dollar trust to help fund the Afghan government. So the Taliban won't have access to that now. The U.S. and the World Bank have made sure that the Taliban's not getting any more any money uh, like the the previous government did. And so I heard someone on NPR yesterday, and I wish I could remember the name, but I was driving, so I couldn't write it down. Um, but one person was saying that um, the Taliban gets maybe twenty percent of its funds from uh, poppy fields that, you know, oh, heroin pr- pretty production. flowers. Yeah. So it, but this also leaves a big opportunity for some other people to help. And it, it's looking now everyone is saying that's going to be China, that China is about to start investing heavily in Afghanistan and, uh, working closely with the Taliban. We already saw Taliban leaders meet with, uh, Chinese leaders. I don't know if, uh, uh, Xi Jinping. Is that how you say his uh, name? Xi. Jinping. Xi Jinping. Xi. Xi Jinping, I think. Xi Jinping. Uh, Winnie the Pooh. That they didn't, you know, they all met recently. And um, we're going to, you know, it, everyone's saying that that's one thing we're going to see. Uh, people are also talking a lot about, is the Taliban going to return to their 90s modus operandi, which was to be... Uh, Highly radical, uh, draconian, Middle Ages style, you know, harsh religious rule. And the Taliban saying, uh, no, that it's not going to be like that, that they are going to, unlike before, allow women to go to school and, you know, leave the house without a man accompanying them um, and other things. Uh, So... And from what I've heard, as the Taliban, you know, because for a while now, the Taliban has actually controlled a pretty respectable amount of the country. And in those sections, um, whether or not those things were true, like whether or not women could go to school and uh, have some sort of independence, um, varied from province to province, depending on you know, the local Taliban leader that was in charge of that province. And some of them were more lenient and some of them were really strict. So people are wondering, you know, like, what's this going to look like? The Afghani people, from what I'm hearing, are preparing for 90s style uh, extremist rule. Um, So I guess we'll see if they decide that they're not going to be progressive at all if they're going to go back to the you know the hardcore ways is anybody going to do anything to stop them you know the u.s is like kind of wagging their finger and go nancy pelosi is like there better be women at the table (laughs) it's like or what what? or what you're going to invade us again yeah none of those threats work you can't make threats while you're retreating it, you know, so 
I mean, that's my opinion. Obviously, I'm not. I've never led an army or planned an invasion. <laughs> so, but just, you know, as a layman on the ground, I say if you lose a fight and you run away, you don't make threats over your shoulder. <laughs> you know, all right. I was like, well, they, so. they didn't much care for the drones. We could have our occasional death robots flying through the sky. Like, all right, it's going to be war, yeah. random war that, crime time. How's that? <laughs> the drones were the drones were the biggest gift to the Taliban recruitment program of of anything yeah they'll uh, as far as trade go I I think they'll go back to at least if not 100% like 80% (laughs) I don't know it's like it's cynical like 80% of the oppression that they had before and people, people, right. as long as there's money, people or you know something that they have that people want, pe- there there are no there there, there are no ethics in money. Uh, like pe- if somebody yeah. if, if they've got something that people need, rare earth metals, heroin, and they're willing to sell it, people will give them money or trade with them what they want. We we've that yeah, and isn't there? Don't they have some rare earth minerals or some valuable minerals there as well? I can't remember specifically, but I, I believe they do. Um, I know a lot of the issue yeah. was like gas pipe, uh, wanting to run gas pipelines through. But yeah, I mean, they, they have a lot of natural resources. Uh, Uzbekistan has a lot of gold and um, uranium. So uh, they're in similar geographic zones. So I imagine this Afghan, Afghanistan probably does too. People are still talking about getting uh, all the translators and the other Afghans who assisted the U.S. government, getting them out of the country so that they're not um, killed out of revenge from the Taliban. That's been a 20-year failure because from the very beginning, and we did it to the Kurds too. We, We just left the Kurds high and dry. And that's, that's yeah. what I'm worried about, a reputation. Long story short, the lesson here is that, um, you know, war. <laughs> well, the U.S. is really what, good. What is it good for? Yeah, they're, 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 <laughs> I don't know what yeah. the lesson is. There's no lesson. A lot of people, <laughs> he spent a lot of people made a whole lot of money. Um, a lot of um, innocent people died. Um a lot of families got aggravated with each other because there was someone in the family who's like, you know, this war is all about money. And other people are like, you don't love America. <laughs> and so we had that. We got to be kind of frustrated with, with each other. Um, we got to have a lot of veterans with um, PTSD, but it gets largely ignored or not seen as a casualty. And that's what's really frustrating. Like, you look at the casualty list. It's like, oh, well, okay, 2,000 American died and, you know, 20,000 wounded. Oh, you know, I mean, that's car accidents every year. Oh, maybe it wasn't so bad. Yeah. It's like, well, how many, like, how many thousands of young people have psychological scars and that... You know, it affects their lives, their quality of life, the happiness, the happiness of their marriage. Um, and, you know, the, you, there are other scars that amputations. And unfortunate, and we kind of gloss over that. And we'll do it again, though. We will, we will do it again. We did not learn from Vietnam. 
And we did, we, we set the trap for Russia and then fell into it ourselves and didn't learn from yeah. it. And we'll do it again. And, you know, uh, it's going to be depressing. Yeah. But it'll, uh, well. <laughs> but yeah, well, I'm just, I am curious to see what life will be like uh, without this uh, forever war. <laughs> still going on war what's well, the next yeah, war? What, war will find does that mean way. that we're does that mean that we don't have any wars going on right now mm. not counting military actions that are happening I everywhere think it's <laughs> that's uh, constant there's some kind of operation still going on in um in iraq i mean i think technically we say the war is over but we have troops there and they get shot at every once in a while. I think we see we see have troops yeah. in Syria too. It's just not and, that many. And, but there's know. no official war. Uh, well, we haven't yeah. had a declaration We're of war doing... since I think World War Two. But <laughs> right, they keep getting. I remember that about Vietnam. Vietnam, we didn't lose Vietnam as a war because it technically wasn't a war. It was a military action. Yeah. Uh, so yeah it's the war's power war powers act war's yeah power. uh, and i know that uh u.s there's a lot of u.s special forces activity very secret nobody knows specifically what they're doing but uh in uh africa um, yeah i mean i think in general they're they're hunting down terrorists but um that probably is make gives them a little too much credit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's a that's a well, tough job. Uh, uh, well, the only thing I'd like to add about this, or like thinking of our failure in, um, the U.S. has a really good history of winning wars, but not peace. You know, I can't like uh, even the American Civil War. The Union Army won the war. And then they tried to nation build in the American South. And they occupied it for, yeah, was it 20 years or so? You know, had kind of this clan guerrilla insurgency where they're going around and intimidating people. And then eventually the U.S. government got tired of it. It was too expensive and they left. There was this nation building attempt and it failed. And the, and right, and that's that has been a theme ever since. Yeah. And uh, Vietnam, we couldn't, <laughs> we we just couldn't nation build. And uh, I think maybe the major exceptions could be Japan and Germany, um, but they all, right. all were already kind of like functioning nation states, and you know, uh, I mean that you could probably do a whole podcast on why it seemed to our nation building worked there. Maybe because they were like completely destroyed. It's easier when it's completely destroyed and you can build it up again. I don't know. It's really hard to pick out a clear villain. Uh, probably almost impossible to pick out the good guys unless you get down to like the individual <laughs> level. You know, I'm sure that there are plenty of good guys on the ground uh, with very little authority, you know? Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, terrible mess. And I'm glad that the one thing, uh, one small good thing that's come out of this is it's doing a lot to uh, kind of chip away at this like good guy image, this uh, uh, rebranding that 
George W. Bush has been doing since he left office <laughs> as like this charmingly befuddled, hey, you know me, I'm pretty cool. I wasn't as bad as Trump, so you know. <laughs> and now, you know, everybody is like, oh, do we, uh, you know, like you guys are talking about, do we blame Trump for this? Do we blame Biden for this? And it's like, no, fucking blame George W. <laughs> yeah. Bush. All he had to do was provide a little evidence and the Taliban would have handed Osama over. We don't know. We don't know what would have happened, but you know, he could have could have gone, you know, looked at a more peaceful route for for at least ten minutes. Uh yeah, it's almost <laughs> as if he was really close friends with people who would have benefited financially from uh, a massive military endeavor in a foreign nation. Yeah, what I don't understand is why we don't have like a massive military endeavor in the U.S. instead of spending a, a billion dollars building a, a ring road around the central of Af- center of Afghanistan. Why don't we spend a billion dollars you know, on high-speed rail between you know, like New York and Boston where people commute sometimes? All right, we're not socialists here, okay, <laughs> Brandon? If you could stop the, the radical left communist... I'm just saying, if we're going to spend a billion dollars on infrastructure, why not? Why not make it in the U.S.? You know, that that just seems to make more sense. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's a good point. Can't those contractors who got fat, you know, going over to Afghanistan, can't they get fat here too? <laughs> yeah. Like, why? Why does it? Why does it have to be over there? Uh, the one anecdote uh, about like the um, building infrastructure in schools, uh, I I do an NGO fellow when I was in Benin uh, that was fairly familiar with Afghanistan and um, the rebuilding there, and he said like, um, yeah, they build these like, nice, you know, nice school, and he goes to visit and like it's nice, construction's good, and the kids are all like under a tree, you know, with their notebooks. In their lap, you know, it's in the shade. It's a nice day, though. And um, he's like, well, what, 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 what's wrong with the school? And they're like, ah, oh, we like sitting out here for class. And they went to school, and it was, like, full of agricultural supplies. <laughs> and they just, they just <laughs> turned it into a warehouse. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, I guess it's the thought that count, and that could be helping them, too. They, they didn't need a school building. It's they like, needed a warehouse. You guys, we, yeah. yeah, it's like, maybe... Maybe they should have. T- that's one of the bit first rules. And I don't know. Maybe they did this. I don't know. But that's one of the first rules of mutual aid is that, you know, if you're coming in to help a community, the first thing you do is ask the community what they need. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't do that's a very American thing. And I think also it's it's kind of a very like Christian thing. Uh, I could be wrong. So, you know, Christian listeners, I'm not attacking you, but just in general, the missionary thing where the Christians go over or the white people go over and they don't trust the non-white people to know what they actually need. So they're like, we're building a school. And it's like, we could actually use a warehouse because we've got all this stuff that we need to store. (laughs) And the kids, like they're learning. They prefer, they generally do it outside. That's like how they like yeah, to do things. It doesn't like, rain here very often. No, and, yeah. the kids need us. The kids need a school, and you, they don't get to pick where they learn. <laughs> There's a school, and that shit looks like it's fine sitting outside. 
You don't know what you're talking. They've all got they've all got smart so, boards in the classroom, but there there are no computers for the teachers or kids. <laughs> it's like yeah. This is the, yeah, the twenty first century classroom, yeah. but not really. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not saying that that's what happened, but it it seems plausible, you know. Yeah, well, it was. They probably asked the government itself what it wanted. And the government was like, "Oh yeah, build some schools there." And maybe, yeah, schools. That sounds yeah, good. Maybe maybe didn't ask the local villagers. <laughs> they, but, uh, you know, ask the Afghan government. Yeah. That, that's that's why people didn't support the government. Like we told our representatives, we wanted a warehouse, and they gave us a school. Oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's everything that I can think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Me too. That was fun. It's glad I, to be back in the saddle. I was going to say that I noticed that, you know, like not that it was just a few months ago that we were talking about Israel and Palestine and the thing that everyone said because they didn't, I mean, some people said it in good faith uh, because they truly didn't understand. Uh, But a lot of people were calling that conflict, that issue complicated just as a, a, a way to not have to talk about (laughs) and usually as a way to not have to uh actually acknowledge the bad things that israel were doing um and but then everyone uh, everyone has an opinion on what is what we did wrong with afghanistan and what we did right and afghanistan is truly complicated like incredibly complicated and (laughs) you know but everybody's got got a rock solid opinion on that, <laughs> and yeah, I, sometimes I just wish people would just think it, it's okay to not have an opinion. You know? Well, or at least not be so confident in their opinion. Be like, yeah, uh, yeah. I think, you know, I think this might have worked, or you know, maybe we should have. This done seems this like and, it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instead of. Joe Biden is an incompetent piece of shit, and this is all exactly and only exclusively his fault. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, sure, he played a role in it, but, you know, uh, it, is it really all his fault, you know? Well, that, that, so, all, that comes down to our innate tribalism. I mean, I imagine the people saying that it's yeah. simply because he's, he's a Democrat. Or something, and you know, and you'll get right, and they're Republicans or they're leftists, and Biden is a you know, he's a moderate, and yeah, um, yeah. leftists can't. If I think if there's anything that leftists hate more than you know, conservatives, it's moderates, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that brother, civil war, brother against brother thing, (laughs) you know, there's something that makes people more violent toward their. Like their tribe, people in their tribe not doing what they're supposed to. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, well, that wraps that up nicely, I'd say. Uh, bar none, the most thorough examination of the history and the subtleties of the American Afghani uh, relations ever done uh, by us, anyway. Thanks for listening. Uh, please like and subscribe if you want to hear more. And if you want to hear more about the Central Intelligence Agency, which is the main subject of the show most of the time, uh, be sure to follow us on the socials, 
ciafiles.net is the website where you can go to get more information about uh, the subject of each of our episodes. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at CIA Files. And then on Twitter and Instagram, we are CIA Files Podcast. Anyway, thanks again. Lates. Lates.